Good morning. It was exciting last weekend, wasn't it? 357 people in our three services last weekend, and you had a big part in that. You're the reason that they were here. I told the first service that uh, I was actually going to share this this week, but I went ahead and told them. I made 26 invitations to families and, and uh, individuals, some phone, some by email, some actually person to person you know, on the street. And, um, you know, I don't mean just say, hey, y'all ought to come. I mean specific, uh, specific invitations. And you know how many I had show up of my 26? Two. Okay, but some of you invited one person and they showed up, or three people and they showed up. And you were 100%. You know why? I've told you this over and over and over, and that's why I wanted to mention it to you today. Is I want you to I want you to see this. As I met people, look at me. They think I'm paid to invite them to church. That's the way they see it. Is I'm paid to do it. They see you as being more concerned about their life, what they're going through, their issues. So please don't ever uh, allow it, allow yourself to to second guess. You know what you're doing when you're inviting someone to church. You're going to have a whole lot more input, impact than the pastor's going to have. And probably if I look hard enough, I'll find out those two that I invited that showed up. Somebody else invited them. That's why they showed up instead of me. I don't know. But anyway, and next week's going to be awesome. Uh, David just asked me and reminded me, I need to let you know we're not having the early service, but I, you're not the ones I need to tell that to. We should have told the early service people that. If, if, you're not, if you haven't caught that yet, is we're doing one service, 11 o'clock, outside. We're going to have uh, worship, a short, short sermon, and we're going to get into a baptism. And if you've uh, become a Christian and never been baptized in water, you need to be baptized. I think right now we have 16 people scheduled to be baptized next Sunday. Somebody pray, say praise God. Amen. 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 A lot of kids, a lot, a lot of teenagers, and, but uh, also some adults. And that's, that's exciting to me to see, uh, see adults that come, come to the Lord and say, hey, I, I need to be baptized. And, it, and if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've never been baptized in water, you need to do it. And there's no better time than that. You saw the pictures last, from last fall. It was awesome. It's going to be awesome again next week. Also, uh, we're also going to have a meal afterwards. And so you and your family, because you're going to invite your family and friends, they can come and they hang around. It's going to be uh, provided for you here in the sanctuary. You can hang around and fellowship. And that way I'll get to meet them and, you know, and others get to meet them, meet, meet the staff and those kinds of things. And, and you can get them to hang around just a little bit longer. Okay, and so today we're starting... New sermon series, Once Upon a Time, really excited about this and wanted to show that little bit of a, a video again uh, because I wanted to remind you of uh, the very first quote, and yeah, we're playing off a Sunday, Sunday evening uh, TV series that's uh, very, very popular right now, Once Upon a Time, and uh, the very first quote that you heard, you heard it last week, you heard it this way, is every story in this book is true. You needed to know that. Every story in this book is true. And uh, today's, today's uh, message is on Naaman. It's an Old Testament thing. And let me tell you, I, I love preaching the Old Testament because what I see of the Old Testament, it's like all the truths in the New Testament, God's already shown us what they look like in pictures in the Old Testament. It's like that's why all these stories in the Old Testament, what God did, and every one of them is true. But there, it's, it's the truths of the New Testament just, just kind of painted out, you know, and, and we got the picture. And then Jesus came to really fulfill it with the word and uh, so uh, and today, I'm going to get to preach to you from an Old Testament story, and I really like doing that. So let's have a word of prayer and get into this brand new sermon series. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for, uh, Lord, just so many great, awesome things. Lord, thank you, God, for, Lord, I can name names today of, of so many miracles that you're, uh, you're performing, God, marriages that you're healing, God, family members, God, that you're bringing to know you. 
I just thank you for that, God, for 16 that are being baptized next week. I believe there's some more, God, that's going to still need to be baptized. And, God, I just pray that you move on them. And, God, for, for us to hear your word. God, for someone to be challenged today to, to renew and restore their faith, God, uh, to, 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 God, to make some decisions, Lord, to follow through on choices that they made last week. God, whatever, I pray, God, you challenge every one of us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, so today I'm going to preach to you from the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, and it's the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given, uh, given victory to Syria. Okay, so we see a lot of good things, a lot of big, powerful things about Naaman already. I mean, he's a, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was great, he was honorable in the eyes of his master, he had given great victory to Syria, and he was also a mighty man of valor, a courageous, a brave man. So, see, a lot of good, awesome things about him. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And we see all this good, all this amazing, but a leper. The one little thing. And, and you think, well, that, that's all, but we're just reading it, okay? We didn't see him. And I guarantee you, if we saw him, we'd have a different opinion, because that's the way we are. You know, the, the title of this message is Skin Deep, and, and that's the problem with us is most of the time we only go skin deep with the people around us. You know, most people, if they had met him just on the street, they wouldn't have thought very much of him. They wouldn't have thought all these things. If they had not fought with him in battle, they had not watched him lead an army into battle, they wouldn't have thought awesome things about him. Because, you know why? Because he was a leper. They'd have seen all that skin, that dying skin, that white, and, you know, and all that flakiness and all that crustiness. They wouldn't have thought those things, you know, because... That's the way we are. I mean, we're, we're skin-deep people. I mean, we really just look at people, and whatever we see, that's kind of what we believe. You know, I mean, you see someone, you know, that's uh, in a wheelchair, and, and automatically, you know, you, you don't look at them. And, you know, if somebody walked in this morning with crutches, and you, you wouldn't say, well, how was, you, how was your week? You know, how things go at work? You'd say, man, did you break your leg? I mean, it's, that's the way we are. You see somebody in a wheelchair, and immediately, uh, this is the way we are. This is the way human, humanity has become, is we see them in a wheelchair, and we think, it, we think it has impacted, you know, whatever they've got has impacted their whole life. We even think they're not as smart as the rest of us because they're in a wheelchair. I mean, that's how we are. It's all about skin deep, you know, and, and you're that way about yourself. Now, some of you have to think back a few years to remember this, but you remember uh, when you get up and get, start getting ready for school, and you go in, and you stand there in front of the mirror, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a zit right in the middle of your forehead. And that's the only thing you can see, right? I mean, you can't see anything else. It wouldn't matter, you know, it wouldn't matter if, you, if somebody gave you a reverse mohawk in the middle of the night. All you'd see is that bit, right? That, that, that zit right there. And, and that's all you, because you know that when you get to school, that's the only thing anybody else sees. You know, come on, some of y'all still close, you know, y'all still remember that just a little bit. Anybody ever stayed home from school because of, y'all don't raise your hand, okay? I don't want to embarrass anybody. But that's the way we are. I mean, it's, it's, it's a skin deep thing. I mean, and that's as far as we can see and as far as we can go. And, and listen, if you do that with this sermon, if you look at this sermon just skin deep, you're going to think, okay, I know Naaman. Naaman was a sick guy, and I know he's going to get healed, so that's all this sermon's about is about healing. And so you think, if I, you're not sick in body, you can just kind of lay back and go to sleep for the rest of this message. You're going to miss something, because this is not just about a healing. There's so much here. We're going to show you. i got seven points today, okay? And uh, those of you who know the story, you know why i got seven points, don't you? If you really, if you really, really, really know the story, think about it a minute. i got seven points today. And it's not just about healing, but it's about so much more that God wants to do, even in your life, that he wants to do in your life. And you say, well, I don't need a healing today, but it's about a whole lot more than that. And, and the thing that God is going to make him do to get his healing, 
You know, some of you, 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 you're probably a little bit like Naaman, and you're wondering, why, why does God require so much of me? You know, I've done all of this, and still I, I'm a leper. Why does God require so much of me? You know, it says that in the, in the sight of his master, he was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, and in the sight, in the eyes of his master, he was a great and honorable man. When the king of, when the king of Syria looked at Naaman, he didn't see leprosy. He looked beyond skin deep, and he saw an amazing, mighty man of valor. And if his master on the earth saw that, then no doubt his master in heaven saw that he had something more powerful, more in him than just what you could see on the surface. And so when God was requiring more of him, the reason God was requiring great decisions and and deep choices to be made and follow through on that is because God saw something amazing and powerful inside of him and God wanted to pull away all the layers of skin that everybody else is seeing and he wanted to get down to the depth of something awesome that God wanted to do through him something that this man was capable of and you're the same way and you 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 may say well why is God calling me to to do why is God choosing me why why do I have to make the bad bad decisions why does it seem like everybody else gets off easy and I'm the one that has to make a, bad, or a big decision or I'm the one that has to follow through and I'm the one that has to do the great work? You know why? Because God sees beyond your skin. He sees something inside of you that he put there before you were born, something amazing that you can do for God. And, and so make the choice today. Decide today and follow through with it because God's got something amazing he wants to do through you. Every single one of you. You got questions, you got problems, you got needs. You got struggles, you got battles, whatever they are. God knows that, and He's going to use those things. He's going to use those things to bring, a, bring about greatness in your life. And so let, let me tell you the story of Naaman. You see, uh, the Syrian army, they would sometimes send out just, just bands of their soldiers out to raid the other countries. And they'd go into, into Israel a lot and do this. Some of it was just to kind of keep Israel in check to remind them hey, hey, you know, we're kind of ruling over you guys right now. And so they would send into Israel, and they send into Israel, and they would bring stuff back. They would bring clothes, or, or you know, sometimes they'd bring animals. They'd bring food. They'd bring sometimes gold and silver that they had, they had taken. And sometimes they would bring back slaves. And I know this is a horrible thing. It's a horrible story to think about, but they would bring back slaves. And, you know, they wouldn't bring 50, 60, 70-year-old men back to be slaves. I mean, they'd bring the youngsters. They'd bring kids sometimes. And I know that's, that's horrible to think about, but that's... That's the way the world was in those days. And they brought slaves back. And on one particular instance, they brought back a little girl, and she became a handmaid in Naaman's house. She was the handmaid to Naaman's Naaman's wife. And she was probably 10 to 12 years old, about that age. But she had some awesome parents that had poured into her a faith and a belief and a trust in Jehovah God. And she had heard the stories, and she she had heard about the prophet of God, Elisha, that was there. And so, so one day... Uh, this little handmaid, she was speaking to Naaman's wife, and she said, she said, oh, I wish, I wish Naaman, and she didn't call him Naaman because, you know, she was a slave, but she said, oh, I wish my master, or I wish, I wish Naaman could just go and be with Elisha for just a moment. If she could stand by Elisha for just a moment, Elisha could heal him of his leprosy. Now, as soon as Naaman gets home, you know, his wife wants him to be healed. So she says, hey, let me tell you what this little girl told me today. She said, there is a true prophet in Israel that can heal you of your leprosy if you can get to him. And so Naaman, he went, he went to talk to the king, and he told the king, he told the king, hey, there's a prophet there. I need to get back to Israel. I've been in for a raid. I need to go see this prophet. 
And so the king wrote a letter and he sent it by, uh, by Naaman's hand. And, when, and, Naaman, and the letter was to the king. And when Naaman gets back to Israel, he takes the letter to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel, I mean, he's there, but he's still subservient to, to the Syrian king. And so, you know, he's under him. And so he looks at this and says, oh my goodness. And he said, I'm not, you know, I'm just a man. I'm not a god. I can't heal leprosy. And so he tears his clothes. That was something he did back in those days to signify great distress or whatever, you know, angst. And, and so he just, ah! You know, what am I going to, they're doing this to pick a fight with me. What am I going to do about it? And so Elisha, he hears that the king has torn his clothes. And so, you know, he sends him word, says, you know, just, just, just cool, cool off. You know, just chill out for a minute. When he gets, you know, just send him to me. Send him to me. And he says this, so that he may know there is still a true prophet in Israel. And so, so, so uh, uh, Naaman goes, gets over to Elisha. Now, and when he gets over to Elisha's house, you know, he's there in his chariot and he's got all his men around him. No doubt he has worn his best clothes today because, first of all, he's presenting himself to the king and now he's presenting himself to Elisha. And so, you know, when he woes up, you know, and he gets everything straight, you know, and he stands at the door of Elisha's house and, you know, and, you know, and you can read there and you can tell that some things that, that Naaman's about to say, you can tell that Naaman's got some ideas in his mind that Elisha's about to come out, you know, and he's going he's gonna to make me do something weird, you know. He's going to make me twirl around three times, eat a dead chicken or something like that, you know. But you know what Elisha does? Elisha sends word by his servant. That's all he does. He just says, go out and tell him to wash seven times, dip down seven times in the Jordan River. And then he leaves. Now, Naaman's standing there. I can just see Naaman. He said, what? You know, he's looking around him and said, surely he's on his way out the door. He's right behind you, right? And Elisha doesn't come. It makes, it makes Naaman so mad, he, he, he begins, he begins to, 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 to scream and to yell, and he said, why the Jordan River? I mean, there are a couple of rivers back in Syria, they're a lot better than the Jordan River, this river here in, in Israel. Why the Jordan River? And he gets so mad, he gets back in his chariot, he's ready to leave, and he's got his servants, he's got some good handlers, and every great leader needs, a, needs some good handlers, okay? Some of you listen, we, need great, we don't need yes men, we need people to say, oh no, wait a minute, back off, think about this just a moment. And they said, you know... If he'd asked you to pay him a million dollars in gold, you'd have done it. Now, that's not what they said. They said, if he'd asked you to do some great thing. They said, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, if he'd asked you to pay a million dollars in gold, if he'd asked you to do something really silly and crazy, you would have done it. But this one little thing you won't do, and so he thinks about it, and he says, well, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I need to do it. And that's where some of you are today. If I, you're standing here, you've got great needs in your life. You've got needs, of financial needs, or you've got needs with your family. I mean, you've got messes that you have made, and you need God to fix these messes. Some of you are sick in body like Naaman, and you need a healing. And you know what? If I were to tell, okay, everybody, that's, everybody that has a need today, stand up in your chair, twirl around three, three times, and eat a dead chicken. Some of you would do it to get your miracle. And all I'm telling you to do, all you really need to do is listen to God. Make the decision to do what God has told you to do. I mean, you don't have to do something really crazy and weird. You just got to do what God has told you to do. Make the decision and follow through with it. And so he goes down to the Jordan River. And he crawls down to the Jordan River. And incidentally, I will tell you that there is reason, I believe, that I, I felt led to preach this message for next week, before next week, because we're baptizing next week, and we're talking about this washing that is going on there at the Jordan River. He goes to the Jordan River, and he, crawls, he wades out in the Jordan River, and he dips down one time. And when he comes up, I, I can imagine the first thing on his mind is, oh, I hope nobody is watching. That's the whole point of a baptism, isn't it? So people can see. But he's saying, oh, I hope. You know what God's doing? He is dealing with his pride issues. He is, dealing, he is bringing humility back into his life. I can imagine when he was standing there in front of Elisha's house and Elisha just sent his servant out that Elisha didn't even come out, 
I can imagine, does he know who I am? Nobody's ever said that, have you? Does he know who I am? And you know what? Elisha knew exactly who he was. He was the guy who had leprosy that needed God to do something amazing for him. Okay, listen. Some of you need to get down off your high horses this morning. Maybe you haven't been up really high on a high horse. But you need to get down off your high horse this morning. And remember, God didn't show up today because God needs something from you. You showed up today because you need something from God. You're here today. You are here today with a broken life, with a destroyed life. You've got, you got your marriages in trouble. You've got your kids in trouble. Your health's in trouble because of the way you've been living or some stuff going on. Your finances are in trouble. You are here today with a need. You need to remember. You don't need to say, God, do you not remember who I am? He knows exactly who you are. You're the one who's come today with a need. You're the one who's come today with brokenness. You're the one who is here today that needs God. God to do something amazing in your life. You're the one who needs to remember who you are. Oh, and bring some of you. Paul talked about it in, in, the, in the New Testament. He wrote about his thorn in the flesh. You know, and there was no reason for him to not be delivered from this thorn in the flesh. You don't even know what it is. That's all he, he just called it that. We don't even know what it is. And I'm glad because that way you can imagine it's whatever your thorn in the flesh is. This thing that, that God just uses to remind you every once in a while of who you are when you begin to get say, oh, I've done mighty awesome things for God. God can remind you using this little thing. So, well, wait a minute. Don't, you, don't forget who you are. Don't forget you're just a sinner saved by my grace, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Don't forget that I'm the one who has made you all that you are. And, and sometimes we need that and we need to be reminded of that. And to be brought down and remember that, that we're the ones who stand in the place of needing something from God. And oftentimes, the very first lesson we need to learn is humility. To get back to that and understand. And Some, some people don't want to be baptized because I, I can get my hair wet. If somebody saw my hair wet, oh my goodness, I want to mess a little bit with you right here. I want to really get in some people's business. But you know, that's exactly what some of you need. Whatever, whatever it is that keeps you from being obedient to God, you need to drop it today if you want to see a miracle. And the second time he goes down in the water. And he comes up this time, and now something's beginning to take hold in his discipline. I mean, you know, once, once you kind of throw all that, you know, all that pride stuff away, now you can get down to discipline. Okay, I'm going to get this thing done. I mean, you know, one, you know once, once you get that, that pride issue and all that kind of stuff out of the way, you can just say, okay, i got to get that. I mean, I'm down here in the water now, so... I'm just going to get it done, all right? I might as well just, just go ahead and get it done, okay? I'm, I'm already here. There, there's a good and a bad to that kind of an attitude. And here's the bad. Sometimes, and I deal with this a whole lot with people, that they've made a bad decision, and they come, they want me to counsel them or pray with them or encourage them or give them a scripture or give them a word or preach them a message or sing them a song they're really hard up. They come asking me to sing them a song. But if they ask me, here's the thing. Is they want me to do all that, yet they've already made this decision. And instead of going back to God, say, let me get back here to the beginning where I started and let me get this thing fixed and get it right, they say, it's a whole lot easier. Just I'm just going to see this thing out, just see how it works. Maybe God can fix it on the end. That ain't the way God. That's not the way to your miracle. The way to your miracle is not through the bad decision that you made. You need some discipline, and the discipline isn't to stick with a bad decision. Your discipline needs to begin with some humility and turn around and say, I messed up. i got to fix something and get back to some things that are right there. And you begin in your discipline, and look right here, just a, couple of things, a few things right here. Don't despise the little things. You know, 
we despise the little opportunities. Nobody wants the little opportunities. Everybody wants the big opportunities, the great opportunities. But guess what? There are a whole lot more little opportunities to do right than there are big opportunities to do right. And and everybody's one of the big, I mean, I know people who are sitting at home today waiting on the big opportunity of a job is going to pay them 20-something, 30-something dollars an hour. And they're waiting on that. And so they they said no to the two or three little jobs that they had this past week that they've had two or three of those up in one week and work a couple days here and a day here and a day here. You know, they wouldn't have the big, huge opportunity. They'd have a whole whole lot more more money in their pocket now than they they had because they didn't do anything. And the same thing spiritually. And guess what? You know what? All those big opportunities, you know what happens. I mean, if you're looking for a job, all those big opportunities, guess how many other people want those big opportunities? But you know the little opportunities? Nobody wants those. And you know, I think that's why, I think that's why we talk about ninja, ninjas around here, the ninja helpers. And, and, and you, you'll learn about that if you come to the growth track. We'll tell you about that a little bit more. But, but the ninja helpers, I mean, that's one of the reasons. They know nobody's going to do this unless I do this. And they'll step in and do this. And they take advantage of the little opportunities. Don't despise the little opportunities. Don't ignore the little foxes because the Word of God tells us those are the ones that spoil the vine. Okay, last week I told you that the big choices are the important ones. The big choices are the important ones. Choose to go God's way. Choose who you marry. Choose wisely. Choose your financial decisions. All those things. Those are the important decisions. But once the choices are made, it's the little details. It's the little things. Don't Neglect the insignificant deeds and the insignificance or seemingly insignificant acts that you need to do on an everyday basis. It's the big choices that are important, but then it becomes the little things that will eat away at it, chew away at it, and destroy. You can make, you can make a great choice of choosing the right mate, but if you, don't, if you don't take care of the little issues, if you don't take care of the little things, every single day will eat away at that great relationship you've got with a perfect mate for you and will still destroy the perfect marriage if you don't take care of the little things. Now relate that stuff to your, to, to your spiritual life. You made the choice to serve God, but if you don't every single day take care of the little details, if you don't take care, let me, let me just kind of tell you about this because this is going into the next third thing. Is it hunger? And I want to tell you about discipline in a couple more places, and here's one of them in this message. But hunger. Now he's getting hungry again. That's what discipline will do. Discipline will re- renew the hunger. Discipline will bring the hunger back. Naaman no longer wanted to show he was hungry for something real. Just a half hour ago, he was standing at Elisha's, at Elisha's door ready to, you know, swear and curse and yell and scream at him because he wanted to show. My goodness, I, I put on my best clothes. I brought all my men over here, got a letter from the king. I'm ready for a show. Come out here. What he actually said was, I expect him at least to come out here and wave his hand over me. You know, come on now. Give me a show. Do something. And he was finally tired of a show. I know a lot of Christians, they're looking for a show. That's all they, they want, a show. But you know what? I'm tired of the show because you know what happens at the end of a show? You turn the lights off, you lock the doors, and you go home, and you're still living in the same junk. You were li- I'm tired of the show. I don't want a show. I need something real in my life. Naaman now realized, you know what? I didn't get dressed up and come to Israel for a show. I didn't come to Israel. I came to get a miracle. I came for God to do something amazing in my life. And if you've shown up on Sundays for a show... If you came this morning because you want to you hear a good song, you want to hear a good message, I'm sorry. We're not here for a good message and a good song and a show. We're here today because we've got needs. We've got struggles. We've got battles. And I don't, I don't need a show anymore. And discipline will get you past that and to the place of hunger again. 
Let me show you how it works in your life. If I were to ask everybody, please, I want everybody this week to read. For an hour a day, read the Bible. An hour every day this week, just seven days. And if I ask you to commit to that, before you even got your hand up, you'd be thinking, when in the world am I going to find time to read an hour a day? You'd start thinking about that. You'd start thinking about, oh, and, oh my goodness, where would I read? I wonder if he's got any ideas because I know some of that stuff in Leviticus. Man, that put me to sleep. And you're thinking about all this, and how am I going to get this done? How am I going to find time? And is this really going to be any good? But I'm going to, I'm going to commit to that. And it's all these whys and hows and all this stuff, that, you know, and the winds that get in the way. But discipline will get all that stuff out of the way and return the hunger. Because, you know, when you get started reading, you know what's going to happen is you start reading that first day, and after you get through a chapter or two, you look down at your watch and say, What? It's only been 15 minutes? I've got to do this 45 more minutes? You know, you have to keep looking at your watch because, man, oh, this is boring, and oh, man, I, I don't want to go a minute over because I, I don't know if I can last an hour. I surely can't go 61 minutes. You think about it, but let me tell you what discipline, show you what discipline does for you. You make that decision today. Every single day of this week, I'm going to read the Bible for an hour. I, I might not be able to do this the rest of my life, but I'm just, I'm just going to commit to doing this for an hour today, this week. And the only, only time, I, you know, make up your own mind when you would do it, but I mean, you might say, the only time to do that is I got to get up an hour earlier than everybody else. No way it'll get done any other time. So instead of setting my alarm clock for 7.30, I'm going to set it for 6.30. Get up an hour early so I can read. You know, and, and I, I know some of y'all get sleep into 7.30. So that's why I say 7.30. So I'm set an alarm clock for 6.30. Then I'm going to set another one for 7.30 so that it'll go off and let me know my hour is done. And so that way I won't have to look at my watch. I won't have to, and, you know, I'm just going to start at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I'm not going to say I'm going to try to get through five chapters or one or two or whatever. I'm just going to read until that other alarm goes off. And you know what? All of a sudden, because you've set the discipline in your life, guess what? You're not worried about when, you're not worried about how, and you know, you're not reading through there wondering, oh, I wonder how much time has you know, gone off on the clock. You're not worried about any of that. You can actually get into the Word and you can actually receive something and the hunger for the Word can come back because you've set aside all that other stuff. How? Through discipline. And the hunger returns. And when the hunger returns, the next thing to come is hope. Because once the hunger starts growing inside of you, hope begins growing. And hope began growing in him. And he began, you know what? He had never had anybody ever give him any hope. Even a big thing, pay me a million dollars and you can be healed. Or a little thing, go dip in the Jordan. Nobody had ever given him a bit of hope. But now all of a sudden he's got some hope. And now through this hope, you know, something, something new is beginning to grow inside of him. Man, this is getting excited. I've got a hope. Finally. And you know what? There are very few things in this world stronger than hope. When you've got hope, man, you can fight one more battle, can't you? When you've got hope, you can live one more day. When you've got hope, you can try one more time. But when you don't have any hope, You'll quit. You'll give up. You'll, you'll, you'll decide, it's over. I just can't do it. When you don't, you've got to have hope. And the way to get hope is through that hunger. When the hunger become, begins to, to take over you, you say, wait a minute. Something's growing inside of me. The hunger's back. The desire is back to make my marriage what it's supposed to be. The desire is back for, for, my, for my life to be what it's supposed to be. When, when you get that hunger again, it'll bring hope back. You know what the next step is after hope, don't you? It's faith. And faith is, faith is one of the few things that may be more powerful than hope. But, and I know there's a lot of definition, and the Bible has a definition of faith, but I want, I want to give you a little bit of a different slant on it so you see where I'm coming from with this. Is faith, you know, hope is one of those things that kind of just begins to come, and it comes from an external source many times, but faith is an internal thing. We know that God has already given us a measure of faith, so faith is, some, faith is like making a choice to rely on this internal, uh, this internal faith that he's given, this measure of faith that he has given inside of us. Faith is making a choice that when hope begins to, begins to renew, then, then saying, wait a minute, 
I make a choice today that I'm going to believe in something that is bigger than me. And that's what happened to Naaman. And he began to have hope. He began to, he began to hunger for this. And he said, you know, I, I just, I'm, just, I'm just going to believe that this prophet knows a God that is able to do something bigger than me. And he began to believe in something. Listen, here's the problem. You're still believing in yourself, and you're still believing in stuff you can get done, and you're still believing in those. That's a problem because you know what? You can only do this. You know, like I said in the early service, I think there's a whole lot of things I like to do in life, you know, you know, and so I like to do them all. And you know what that means is I'm a jack of a lot of trades and a master of none, you know. You know, I can't do anything really, really great and awesome. I like to play golf. Can't play, you know, I'm not ready for the tour, am I, Chase? Uh, he's being nice. He hasn't said amen or anything over here. I was, you know. You know, I like to play golf, but I hate to, I hate to practice golf. I don't want to practice. I want to play, you know. You know, I, I love to do woodworking and, and those kinds. Of, I did some of that this week. I love to work in the yard, you know, uh, but not enough to go do it for a living 40, days, 40 hours a week or anything, you know. Uh, I, I love, but I, I, it makes me a, ma- a jack of many trades, but a master of none. And so if I rely on myself, here I am. This is all I know how to do. Fixing my relationships, you know, straightening out my finances, you know, making my body better. I meant, you know, thank God for WebMD, you know. Thank God for those, you know, I can, I can look up some things, you know, uh, some of those things. But sometimes I get to the end of me, and I've still got a need, and I've still got, I've got more problems than I know how to fix. And that's why I choose to believe in a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I am able to ask or even think. That's what faith is. It's saying, I believe in something that is bigger than myself to do my... Yeah, go ahead. You can give God a hand of praise. I believe in doing something. I believe, I'm believing in somebody who can do something that is bigger than me and what I can do. And then you're into obedience. And here's again, here's again where, where discipline gets you there. You see, discipline gets you beyond a lot of stuff. It gets you beyond the emotion. You know, you've heard me say, I grew up, now my my dad wasn't a Christian for the first 12 years of my life. Now if you ask him, he had a church in town, he'll always tell you that's where he went to, but he he didn't ever go there. You know a lot of people like that too, don't you? But he wasn't a Christian for the first 12 years of my life, but my mom was dedicated. Let me tell you something, we we never did. You've heard me say this. We didn't get up on Sunday morning and say, we going to church today. And we didn't make the decision Saturday night either. The decision was made. The discipline was there. Obedience, it was not an issue. You see, that's what happens with discipline. You know what discipline does? Discipline gets you past your emotions. So on days when you wake up and you don't feel like being a Christian, I'm being honest here. Y'all ever feel like, you don't ever feel like being a Christian sometimes? You ever get caught, you cut off in traffic and you feel like waving at them with 50% or 20% of your finger? You know? And you don't feel like being a Christian all the time. And you know what discipline does? Discipline gets you beyond your emotions. Or you, have dep- you get depressed. I get depressed. I've gotten depressed. I mean, I, there was a time in, in my life, in my ministry, that I went through about 30 days of depression. And to this day, I do not know why. There was nothing tied to it. Then God didn't give me a you know, an epiphany afterwards to tell me here's the reason why. I don't know why. But you know, the only, you know what got me through it was the discipline I had that I'm not letting go of the hand of God. Discipline will get you beyond your emotions. It'll get you through your depression. It'll get you beyond even your addictions. I mean, if you, you talk to people that have gotten through their addictions, how do they do it? 
They didn't do it because of this. They got through it because of discipline. Because I made some rules in my life. I set some parameters. I would. Discipline will get you through all of these things to a place of obedience where you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And the last time he went down, he came up. Number seven. God's number that signifies completion. Perfection. It's oh, It's done. There at the end of verse 14 says, and he was clean. Completion. What if he had only gone down six times? Can I tell you, that's the message I've heard all of my life. I've heard that preached so many times. If Naaman had only dipped six times, or if Naaman had only dipped six and a half times, that last time he just went halfway down and splashed some water up, so I don't know about this. But let me tell you something. When you let God take you through this this progression, and I'm not saying this is the progression, I'm just, but when you let God start doing stuff in you that he wants to do through you, the humility, the discipline, restoring the hunger, giving you hope, and choosing to have that faith in God that also leads to obedience. If you're at that place, there is no way you're going to stop after six. You get that far. You say, I was talking about that, you know, how, oh, I made a bad decision. It's just easier just stick with it now. The same thing can happen in a positive way in your life. When you make the right decision for God, you start taking all these steps, you start walking this way, and you start doing all these things, you will finally get to a place there's no way you're stopping right here. I'm going to completion with this thing. And that's why water baptism is so important because you get out there and the public people are driving up and down the street and saying, say, man, I saw there's somebody baptizing in water last week. And you say, and as your co-worker saying, they, they, they drove by and you say, yeah, that was me. Once you say that, guess what? You've started making some steps and now you've got to live up to it. And now you've got some obedience and discipline happening in your life and now it's easier for you to just finish the task. You're not going to stop at six once you get to this place. And that's why some of you need to choose to get to this place. Stand with me. Come to the front. Let's close this in prayer, if you will. Join me here. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Come on, press in. Let's get everybody out of the, out of the aisle if we can. And get to the front. Amen. Jesus. You know what the, what's the saying? The proof's in the pudding or, I don't even know what that means. And I normally, you know, I, I research things like that and I, you know, I find it. I can't even figure out what in the world does the proof in the pudding mean? I ain't even figured that one out yet. But let me tell you where the proof is in this, sto- in, in this story, in this lesson, in this sermon today. It is in the next step. What you do next. Okay? Now for Naaman, let me tell you what he did next. He comes out, seventh time, wow, I'm healed, I'm clean. He's excited. He is ecstatic. Nobody will ever look at him again and think he is a second-class citizen and that he isn't as smart as the rest of us because he's got some physical infirmity that probably has affected his mind too. I mean, he's excited. You know what he does? He goes back to Elisha's house and he wants to rejoice. He wants to give honor. He wants to show appreciation for this great miracle in his life. Now, he does it wrong because he, he wants to give Elisha all these, all these treasures that he's brought with him from his house. He said, I want to pay you for this. Elisha said, oh, no, I'm not taking anything. 
This is God that did this thing for you. You know, worship Him. That's what He wanted to do. He wanted to worship God. Second thing that He did was this. He made a decision. He made, he made it in that trip from coming up out of the water back to Elisha's house. He made it. And you know, most of us, when we make those kinds of quick, snap, spiritual decisions, we make stupid ones, don't we? God, I'm going to read the Bible eight hours every day. I'm going to pray eight hours every day. And I'm going to worship you eight hours every day. And by 5 a.m. tomorrow, you're going to be in trouble, aren't you? That's good. But he didn't. As a matter of fact, if you'll read this and, and read on the next few verses, what you will find is he gave this some serious thought because he knew there was one area where he was going to have a lot of trouble in. And he said, uh, he said, Elisha, he said, here's my decision I made, but here's a place. I, he gave this some thought before he made this decision. And here's the decision he made. Even though I live in a foreign land, a land that worships many other gods, even though I live in that land and worship many other gods, I have made the decision from this day forward, I will only worship Jehovah God, the God of Israel. He made that decision. I worship and there was something really cool that he does too. I'm going to save it. I think I'm going to blog it this week so, so everybody can hear it. Something really cool he did, but he made the decision. He made the decision to take some more steps so that people could see this is where I'm going. I'm going to serve God. That's why water baptism is so important. If, you're not, if you've never been baptized in water and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to be baptized in water. See a prayer team member in just a few moments, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you what you need to know. You need to do this. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've been a Christian for six, nine months, a year, and you're not working in a church, this church, or you, if you attend another church, we've got several visitors with us today, or you, you don't have your own ministry that you are fully involved in, and, and this church is just kind of pumping into you and helping you with that. If you don't have something you're doing for God, you need to get serious. That's your next step. You know, uh, if it's this church, today is 301. Joey's got to be gone. I'm getting to do 301 today. I want to see you. If you've never been to 301, and it definitely, def, no, if you've never been to 301, let me not qualify. If you've never been to 301, you need to be here today at 4 o'clock. I want to see you today. You say, well, I'm just not really sure about this church. Okay, go find the church that you are. And I don't mean that ugly. I really mean seriously. I, I had some laughs in the first service because I said, if this church don't crank your tractor, go find the one that cranks your tractor because you know what you need? You need when you need a church, so when you wake up in the morning, your engine gets running. On Sunday morning, you walk in those doors, mm, I feel something going right here. You need to be in that church. And if this isn't it, please go find it. You need to be excited. You need to be hungry. You need to desire this thing so much. So you say, I've got to do something to help somebody else know about this awesome Jesus that's in my life. You need to be working. You need to be working for him somewhere, somehow. So, so I, I want to see you at 301 if you belong here and you, you've never been to 301. I'm going to see you today at 4 o'clock. I'll give you one month's grace, okay? If you can't be here today, you can come next, the, the third Sunday next month. I'm sorry. I'm sharing too much. I've got to get on and close this thing. Jamie's going to lead us in the final song. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. You know, this thought occurred to me as I was praying at the close of the, of the first service and I was praying over the people, this thought occurred to me. Is there were, there's probably nobody standing in front of me right now that does not already know the next step they need to make for God. The choice, the decision, the action, whatever it is, you probably already know. But in case you don't, I want to pray that over you. Bow with me. Close your eyes. Jamie, go ahead. Take off as soon as you can. God, I pray.